Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Monday edition, the President's Day edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yeah, your federal employees aren't working today. Your postal carriers aren't working today. But, Jim, we're here because... We're not here to honor Chester A. Arthur or Franklin Pierce or uh, really talk about President's Day at all, quite frankly. But uh, the bad news is is that we have no good martinis today, so we came in to talk about some terrible things. But let's start with uh, Meet the Press yesterday, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, one of the guests for Chuck Todd. Hogan, of course, has rumored to be running for president. He says he'll make a decision in the spring, but... When former governors go on Meet the Press, it's usually a pretty good sign that they're planning to do that. And so, you know, we've talked in the past about how a lot of these people are going to get in, and there's probably not really a point. And Larry Hogan seems to be the poster child of that this year. But uh, one of the issues that Chuck Todd brought up was the issue of education, which he seemingly brought up as an opportunity for Hogan to trash Ron DeSantis which unfortunately he did. Uh, But he also uh, took the opportunity to point out that education, which seems to be one of the most uh, motivating issues for Republicans and even voters beyond the Republican base, uh, it's not really going to be the highest priority for him, although he does agree uh, that the youngest kids in school probably should not get hit with a heavy sexual uh, curriculum. But nonetheless, here's that uh, exchange from yesterday. My question to you is not whether this is a legitimate issue to be talking about. It's about whether this is the main issue or not. Do you view this as the main issue for 2024? No, I think it's an important issue, and I do hear it. And people are concerned about this as I travel around the country because, you know, the, most people just don't think we should be talking about, you know, things like sex to young kids. And the parents want to be more involved in the decisions about what their kids are being taught. However, uh, you know, I think some of this rhetoric is, uh, you know, it, some, you know d- demanding that things be done a certain way or that you can't say this, or you can't say that. We've got to be really careful. I know. About does it feel like you're going the other way? Like it, yeah. it's sort of like you're on one hand, you have Governor DeSantis claiming, hey, I don't want all of this, but I'm going to tell you exactly what you can say. And I'm going to tell you what you can't say. Well, I'm a small government, you know, common sense conservative. And to me, it sounds like big government and uh, authoritarian. Uh, you, you have to agree with me and I'm going to tell you what you can and can't do. So but it's an issue. It's not the most important issue. I think more people are concerned about the economy, mm-hmm. inflation. They're concerned about uh, crime. Right. Uh, but education is one of the things that we've got to talk about. So there he goes and buys Chuck Todd's premise about uh, Ron DeSantis saying explicitly what teachers can and can't say. It's the same uh, bogus talking points with the so-called don't say gay, which was not the, the legislation in the first place. But he's also making it clear that, you know, education matters, Jim, but uh, it's not really at the top of my grid if I end up uh, running and getting elected. Yeah, this this is frustrating on several levels. First being that uh, I noticed that the Meet the Press tweet that they put out characterized it as, quote, cracking down on schools teaching race or gender. Oh, horse pucky. That is not an accurate characterization of what these disputes are about. It's about what you choose to, to teach in the 1619 Project and the idea of introducing this idea of racial blaming of entire ethnic groups and all that stuff, basically the politicization of these racial issues, as opposed to teaching the history of slavery and things like that, uh, the civil rights movement, all this stuff that we learned in high school were really not all that controversial, at least in most parts of the country, maybe in a handful they were. But uh, so the first thing is that this this complete mischaracterization of what is at issue and what is being disputed. The second thing is I don't like this characterization of is it the most important issue? Well, we can argue about what the most important issue is. 
Um, just this past weekend, Mitch McConnell got a uh, got grief about saying that the uh, war in Ukraine is the most important conflict going on in the world right now. Now, if you want to argue China, okay, that's a reasonable argument. Um, I think you, I, it's not like the fact that we might put that up, you know, one or one A doesn't mean we don't care about North Korea nukes, doesn't mean we don't care about Iran's North Korea program. Saying that something is very important is not necessarily mean the other things are important. So the idea like, well, I don't think it's the most important issue. Okay, well, let's, uh, you know, let's put out this, you know, yes, education is an important issue. And some people are going to have it, number one. Some people are going to have it, number two. Some people are going to have it, number three. But there are very few Americans for whom education is not a very important issue. And what is being taught is a very important component of the question of, how, you know, how should our country be educating our children? Right. Then the third thing is this claim like, well, I'm a small government, common sense conservative. It sounds like big government. Well, look, unless Larry Hogan wants to run for president and to either eliminate the Department of Education or dramatically cut down the role of the Federal Department of Education, we are stuck with a federal government that has a great it offers a great deal of funding for schools, large and small, and has a great deal of say over education policy in all 50 states. I, I, you and I have discussed many times, we'd very much prefer for education to be a state issue and even more a local issue in which it is most responding to the concerns, desires, and viewpoints of the parents who are in those schools. But we're stuck with the Department of Education. So the question is going to be, while we have a Department of Education, what should the president's policies on what is taught be, you know, be? This is, you know, Ron DeSantis is not some crazy extremist who's coming along. It was basically the liberals who started this fight. It was basically the liberals who decided we're going to try to use the entire existing education system, which wasn't doing such a terrific job of reading, writing, and arithmetic. And we're going to attempt to use them as a form of ideological indoctrination. We saw it in the colleges through going back into the 90s, and we saw it to today. So this entire fight, like it's not Ron DeSantis suddenly decided I'm going to make life miserable for liberals in education. Liberals in education decided they were going to make life miserable for a whole bunch of children and parents. That's what got us here. And the fact that Larry Hogan either doesn't see it or doesn't want to see it or doesn't want to acknowledge it uh, during Meet the Press is deeply frustrating for a guy who had done a pretty good job in Maryland, or at least as I described him as a goalie, blocking a lot of bad ideas by Democrats. You'd think he'd get this. Alas, based on this, these comments, he's kind of, you know, trying to have it both ways. And I don't think it uh, worked out very well for him at all. No. And if he's talking about uh, big government, I mean, at least among Republican governors, he was certainly one of the most lockdown friendly uh, when it came to schools and other things. You know, other left wing governors like Cuomo and Newsom and so forth, I'm sure were worse. But uh, when it comes to uh, taking the offensive on <laughs> big government, I'm not sure he really has a leg to stand on there. All right, Jim, on to our second bad martini now. And uh, we're staying with uh, Ron DeSantis a little bit here. He did a uh, long profile piece uh, with Selena Zito uh, for the New York Post. Now, Selena Zito, I think, was writing for The Examiner and maybe some other places during the 2016 campaign. And she was one of the first people to really understand the appeal Trump was having uh, kind of in the Rust Belt areas and why he was exceedingly popular in places like Ohio and Western Pennsylvania and stuff like that. States that he won and were critical to his victory in 2016. Michigan and Wisconsin narrowly uh, going his way as well. So now Selena Zito goes down to Florida. She spends a lot of time with DeSantis, kind of figuring out where he came from, what makes him tick, his uh, approach to his current job, and, and what he's thinking about what's happening in Washington. And uh, as a result of a fairly uh, uh, positive piece, very positive, I would actually argue, uh, Donald Trump not appreciating that whatsoever. So over on Truth Social, he says, 
In writer Selena Zito's fake news puff piece about DeSantis, which supposedly appeared in the dying New York Post, which is way down in readership, just like Fox News is way down in ratings, why doesn't she mention that he wants to cut Social Security and Medicare, loves losers like Jeb Bush, Paul Ryan, and Karl Rove, and is getting clobbered in the polls by me? DeSantis is a rhino who is trying to hide his past. I don't read the New York Post anymore. It's become fake news, just like Fox and the Wall Street Journal. So somehow we got wind of this without actually reading it, Jim. And uh, this is pretty much his scorched earth on everything. He had a lot of negative things to say about Nikki Haley when she announced last week. I'm sure he'll say the same thing about whoever gets into the Republican primary and beyond. Then you've got the the Trump supporters who, uh, you know, twisted a George Soros video when he, where he was really saying, let's hope that DeSantis is the nominee, then Trump will run third party, and then we'll get an easy victory. Instead, the Trump supporters turned that into, oh, George Soros really likes Ron DeSantis and hopes he's the nominee. So um, I'm not sure whether this is going to be an effective strategy for Trump, but uh, the, the nuking of everybody who says the slightest nice thing about anybody else on the Republican side, uh, I'm not sure it's going to wear well over time. Well, I would note, if you look back at the long history of Donald Trump and some of his staffers, that he will fire and denounce Steve Bannon, Sloppy Steve, you may recall from his Twitter tirades, Corey Lewandowski, um, Michael Cohen went, you know, and then came back and came back, you know, that Trump is used to staffers who will take an unbelievable amount of abuse, uh, verbal and, and such, and public ridicule and mockery and sneering and just, you know, all out temper tantrums. And then come back. Uh, Bannon is apparently back on. You know, eventually, you come back into the fold. Trump forgets about why he was so mad at you, or he, you know, and he just kind of decides he wants to have you back in his circle again, and things resume as normal. I don't know if I don't think everybody in the world is wired this way, though. And I think someone like Zelina Zeno, I don't know her well, but we've chatted a bunch. I think extremely highly of her. I think she's an extremely straight shooter. And in fact, someone not liking Selena Zito is generally a sign to me that okay, I'm dealing with someone who is there's a good chance this person is off their rocker. Um, I think she calls them as she sees them. I may not agree with every last thing she's ever written, but she's got a root stack in the Pittsburgh area and has been very plugged in in the uh, you know, white working class communities of Western Pennsylvania. And she understands those people. And I think she writes about those people with great, uh, a great astute assessment and sensitivity and, and uh, empathy and understanding. You know, if you want to get an understanding of how Trump won a bunch of those upper Midwest states in 2016, go read The Great Revolt by Selena Zito and Brad Todd. Um, I think they they get it. And so like the fact that Trump is lashing out at her is a very strong indicator that he doesn't, you know, he won. Anyone who says anything nice about Ron DeSantis is now his enemy and he believes should be destroyed. Two, he doesn't care if this person is fair-minded to him in the past or fair-minded or in general approach to things. Um, you were either with him or against him. And even the slightest deviation will lead to a frothing at the mouth social media tirade. Nikki Haley, um, you can list down a whole bunch of other figures. I think some of these folks, you know, will not gravitate to Trump if Trump wins the nomination. I could be wrong. But my suspicion is that a bunch of people like I don't think Selena Zito enjoys having her integrity attacked. I don't think that all these other people who say, hey, I'm interested in running for president enjoy Trump, you know, pairing, attempting to destroy them. I don't think Ron DeSantis enjoys being called a groomer uh, in some of his Trump's more unhinged tirades like, you know. Donald Trump is a man who's melting down, before, you know, on social media all the time. And we, yeah, he's always said crazy stuff on Twitter. Somebody had a very good observation. 
let's say Trump could exaggerate or be less than fully accurate with the facts when he's denouncing Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or Joe Biden or something like that. Well, a lot of Republicans are going to cut up some slack on that because it's close enough and we really don't like those people in good time. But when Donald Trump tries, runs around trying to argue that Ron DeSantis shut down the state of California, uh, the state of Florida during the pandemic and that Trump was the one arguing against it. First of all, enough people remember, no, that's not the case. And then, two, there's a sense of like, wait a second. like, No, I like Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis just won re-election by 20 points. And he's a you know, indisputably conservative governor who's taking on the left, particularly the diversity, equity, and inclusion crowd and the schools I know on, on every possible front. Why is Trump attacking this guy? And I think that there are certain Trump supporters, not all of them, but a chunk of them who are like, why is Trump doing this? Wait, this is not, I don't like seeing him fight people I like. I want to see him fight people I don't like. And yet right now, Ron DeSantis and these other Republicans are his obstacle for the nomination. So I think for the coming year, Donald Trump is going to spend most of the year denouncing anybody who's saying something he doesn't like, even if it's somebody who doesn't deserve it to the degree that Selena Zito does not. A couple of quick follow-ups here, Jim. Uh, first of all, I think uh, a lot of people see Ron DeSantis as a threat. Trump goes after him at every possible opportunity. We talked about Larry Hogan. Uh, just over the weekend, Christy Nome was saying that she did better on COVID because she never locked down at all. Chris Sununu up in New Hampshire was taking some shots at him. So uh, it's obvious that other Republicans who are interested in this nomination uh, see him as a major target that they have to deal with. Here's the other question that's come up, though, and I guess we won't know until we actually get there or if we get there. If Trump doesn't win the nomination, do his supporters go with the Republican nominee? And I guess that probably depends a little bit on whether Trump would do the third party thing. I suspect he wouldn't because he knows he wouldn't win. But um, but even if he doesn't go third party and he's not the nominee, would enough of his people stay home to make that a problem for DeSantis or whoever is the nominee? I, I would argue this has been a, a you know steadily building storm for, for years now. And 2000, the 2020 election uh, results... January 6th, et cetera. None of that was good for Trump. I, I feel like the addition of, or this, you say the subtraction of uh, Ivanka and Jared who might be able to talk Trump out of his worst ideas and worst impulses has not been good. And it just, it feels like we're headed towards another train wreck. But uh, if you're a Republican, you've gotten used to things not going right at this point in your life. Yeah. And this last one goes deep into our childhood, all the way back to 1980, because for a while, Former President Gerald Ford thought because he, you know, had come so close against Jimmy Carter in 1976 that the Republicans ought to clear the field for him in 1980. Well, of course, Ronald Reagan and George Bush and Bob Dole and John Anderson and John Connolly and a whole bunch of other people said, I, I don't think so. <laughs> and so Ford didn't run. And then he even got a, a brief uh uh, thing at the convention, there were Ford was going to be uh, on the ticket with Reagan. It was be like a co-presidency, and that fell apart. And of course, Bush was the the vice presidential choice. But I, I get the feeling. I don't know whether it's just Trump himself or Trump because he did come so close to re-election that he thinks he's owed the nomination, and that uh, other Republicans are disloyal for even contemplating running in 2024. I think you know Trump's view that he is owed the nomination goes deep into his personality. The idea that he's owed everything. How dare anyone else want something he wants? It's got to, you, know, you can go all the way back to his you know days as a you know when he was first rising in the tabloids as a mogul in the 1980s. That was you know Trump's attitude is that's mine <laughs> towards every, towards everything, but most notably the, the Republican Party. 
Republican uh, strategist for 2024. You're going to earn your money and hopefully you can keep your hair. Uh, but the good news is you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There is a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. So get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth with no drugs and no compromises. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. The Nutrafol hair growth nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi-target the root causes of thinning hair, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, and lifestyle through whole body health. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com slash men and entering the promo code MARTINI to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, promo code MARTINI. All right, Jim. Well, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or probably Larry Hogan, all these people who are going to be running in 2024 want to get to Washington. But if you're not already in Washington, you need to know a little bit something about how this city works. And unfortunately, Politico has come up with its 27 tips, 27 rules for surviving in D.C., specifically for journalists, which if you didn't already loathe the nation's capital and its propensity to be as artificial and fake and just using other people to advance your own career, well, this will do it. First of all, you say, nice to see you instead of nice to meet you because it's possible you've met that person before, Jim, but you don't want to let them know that. So nice to see you lets them think that uh, you've already met them if, in fact, you already have. Uh, so then uh, instead of potentially forgetting where they work, you just say, where are you now? Again, as if you've met before. Be subtle about asking what someone else does for a living. This has changed since I first got to Washington. That, that used to be the first question flat out. And then if you, they didn't think that you could help them advance, then they'd just leave, literally turn around and walk away. Uh, but uh, I guess that's a little more subtle now. And then here's, here's one of my favorites. Someone peers over your shoulder in search of a more important person which will happen all the time, two can play that game. And so they say the right response uh, is to follow your conversation partner's gaze and then say to them, oh my goodness, is that Ron Klain? I've been meaning to talk to him. And then make a beeline to him. Also, you want to get gossip from these people, but you can't ask for it. So you're supposed to say things like, I bet you know Pete Buttigieg. What's he really like? Also, before trashing someone else to a stranger you just met, make sure the two aren't married, since a lot of them don't uh, share the same surname. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff like acting cool and going to the after parties of the White House Correspondents' Dinner because you're too cool to go to the black tie affair. So, Jim, uh, if this doesn't make you want to throw up your lunch, it's unfortunately kind of the way a lot of people work around this town, but uh, hopefully not too many. So, Greg, I'm going to be moderately more sympathetic. I actually think, look, first of all, if you're bad with names and you have a lot of cases where you're like, I know I've met this person before. I know I've seen this person before. Where do I know him from? So what's new with you? Or, hey, what are you doing these days? Is I, Actually, that's, I think that's good advice. I've also heard the advice that if you remember anything about the person, then you can you know plug that in there if you don't remember their name. So at least it communicates you remember something about them. Or like, you were really into windsurfing, weren't you? Or something like that. When you're meeting, say, John Kerry or something like that. <laughs> um, 
That's a, that's a little joke grenade. You pull you pull the you pull it the pin. You throw it three <laughs> seconds later, it gets a reaction. Um, so you know, I, I actually some of this stuff I don't mind or I don't think it's you know too ridiculous. And yes, don't overdo it with sympathy if you run into someone who's just lost an election. Again, this is generally only going to be a problem in Washington. I was intrigued that when they said in terms of dating and relationships and things like that, uh, if you're a conservative on a dating app, own it. And apparently, you know, don't be the guy or girl who puts moderate when you're actually very conservative. Nobody likes false advertising, especially in a city where political identity trumps all. Um, Greg, do you find it interesting they didn't feel a need to say if you're a liberal or progressive on a dating app, own it? <laughs> Doesn't that say a great deal about the culture of Washington? The conservatives would feel reticence about uh, discussing their beliefs and yet, you know, there's no expectation that liberals are progressives. That no one, no one would have any problem with that. Um, I, I, I'm kind of struck by uh, some. Of, basically, this kind of you know describes this idea, which your entire mode of interacting with people is entirely looking at them as potential connections to get you where you want to go. Which, by the way, you know, undisputably has its time has its place in life. You know, if you're going to try to climb, particularly in a place like Washington, it is good to network. It is good good to get to know people. It is probably good to consider your work friends separate from your friends' friends, um, and mingle the two only with great caution and great knowledge. You know that the it's good to have work colleagues and people you know who then work at other organizations and might be able to put in a good word if they hear about an opening or stuff like that. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. The idea is that you know, in Washington, it turns into kind of this obsession. You find people who are um, basically just these creatures <laughs> that thrive on this. Um, when I'm, you know, rare, you know, those rare occasions when I'm in television and I can see one reporter attempting to pump someone else for information in the green room. Green rooms are usually off the record unless you're specifically asked to be. It's considered rude to kind of, you know, make casual conversation and then say, well, actually, I'm seriously looking for a story. I'm hoping you'll trip up and say something interesting. It's not, it doesn't strike, you know, it may not necessarily be against journalistic ethics. I just don't think it's being a good person. Um, but that, yeah, so like this will kind of confirm everybody's suspicion. And I think like if you can laugh at it, fine. I, I do think also it's kind of interesting this runs in Politico because I guess the audience for Politico, Greg, is probably the audience that most needs this advice in the first place. <laughs> Now, it's certainly true that, you know, people can help you out, but, you know, become professional friends with them. Like you were saying, don't just go up to them and say and figure out what you can mine out of them for your own career advancement. How and then you move help on me? to the next one. Exactly. That's what it is, though. That's exactly what it is. And then. Hi, uh, it's nice to meet you. I'd like a letter, letter of recommendation. <laughs> right. Right. Just be an actual person. Get to know them a little bit. And then when they actually can do you a favor, uh, it's now not you're, now you're asking awkward. the impossible. Greg. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I, I saw the one where you're talking about on the dating app. The one right above it is keep your two phones to yourself during dates because, you know, if you work at a certain job in a certain office, you have the official government uh, line and then also your personal cell, which I'm sure doesn't get dropped into uh, conversations at cocktail parties either. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for an advancement, I'm surprised this they is don't. This my secure phone. <laughs> This, this is the secure line, you know, for when uh, when Blinken and uh, they call me, you know, every, every once in a while they want to pick my brain. I say, yeah, go ahead with that operation in Ukraine. It'll be cool. Yeah. So if this lifestyle sounds awesome to you, come to Washington and work as a news reporter. If it sounds insane, you probably want to stay where you are. But uh, Jim, on that note, uh, good to be back with you. Actually, one last observation, oh, yeah. Greg, yeah. Um, because I, I saw this on Twitter and it was too funny not to repeat. And I apologize for not giving credit where it was due. Somebody had shared this article and talked about all the weird things that only happen in Washington. And this guy described going to some bar where clearly some group is having a happy hour. 
And a woman went up to him and said, are you a Federalist? And he kind of just thought this was the weirdest question ever. So he responds, no, I'm a Whig. And he thinks he's very smug. And apparently this offends her. And it was a great, you know, like this comes like across as this like obnoxious, snarky, disrespectful response. Well, it turns out the happy hour was sponsored by the Federalist Society. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, they make, oh, they, I mean, basically, say, oh, are you part of our group? Are you in our, you know, this organization? So, you know. <laughs> yeah, the sorts of things that only happen to you in Washington. See, the fact that somebody thought that that was an actual icebreaker cold question from someone shows you just, just how weird this town is. It's not, hey, what team are you cheering for? Did you see the game last night? How about that speech today? Or whatever. Because, uh, you know, most people are political minded, but that kind of thing, uh, that somebody thought that would be almost normal is bizarre. But, uh, <sighs> well, I mean, Greg, you know, you're you're a happily married father of two, but let's imagine you're a single guy, you're in Washington, and some attractive young woman comes up and says, the Logan Act. Boy, that's a bunch of nonsense, huh? You're 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 it's, uh, impressed at that moment, right? That's you know, that strikes me as a good icebreaker. Oh, or the Jones Act, man. I can't. That's why I can't get a drink around here. You know. So. <laughs> I'll tell you one story from my single days. It had nothing to do with politics. I was with a work colleague of mine. We were at a sports bar watching the Packers Bears game. He's a Packers fan. And uh, long before I met Mrs. Columbus, and uh, mostly guys, you know, watching the football game. But uh, there was a controversial pass interference call there, and there was <laughs> there was some girl there who was just absolutely apoplectic at the call, and she said, "That was not pass interference. That was incidental contact, and he was looking back for the ball." And like every guy there, just kind of slowly turned. <laughs> It's like she understands pass interference. That's way more impressive oh, you than do the it. Logan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello there. Uh, I guess we're in two different worlds. But you uh, have the most beautiful and functioning eyes I've ever seen. So. <laughs> no, but if you want to keep your sanity in Washington, Jim just told you the key: <laughs> find a wonderful spouse uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, have a great family, and uh, you will have an escape from the insanity that is the political world. That's around this town, as they say. So, Jim, on that note, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Uh, Thanks so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep them coming. Uh, Also, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday. Join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.